And so, but I, Kathy and I were in New York for all of September, which I'll tell you about next week because I actually get to be here two weeks in a row this week. But uh, I have missed, I have missed my home church. I got to come last Sunday, was the first time back, and, and I saw that we have a new toy that Jeff uh, brought. And uh, anybody here last week at the nine o'clock service? Okay, it was total disaster. So here I am. Jeff's like, you're really going to like the TV? I think it's really good. And he's explaining it to me. And then I sat and watched at 9 o'clock last week. And I just kept leaning to Kathy. He's dying. He's killing it. This is terrible. I, I, just, I don't want to use that. That is so dumb. Uh, but now I'm very, very excited about that. We are actually starting a series today called Obsessed for three weeks. Um, me this week and next week. And then Jeff is going to wrap it up. We're talking about what does it even mean to be obsessed so I did what everybody would do. I typed in obsession.com into the internet, and I got a site about casual sex, adult affair dating, sex dating, all kinds of adult-type stuff. Now, some of you men just woke up, and you said, all right, that's what this series is about. Welcome to church. Uh, but what is, what is the definition of obsession? It's an idea or thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes on a person's mind. Some synonyms, uh, fixation, addiction, passion, mania, craze, that type of thing. Some of you are saying, I am not obsessive. I am not. You just continue to tell that to yourself. I don't know what you're obsessed by. I know this is, uh, we've got a lot of teenagers in this service, which I love. And um, some are not, not obsessed by Facebook. This is now their mom's. Okay, that are obsessed by Facebook. Facebook has become the soccer mom deal, but uh, there are new obsessions related to social media. Um, I, I know some guys are obsessed with, with sex. That is what is on their mind. Other obsessions that we'd be familiar with is exercise and, and weight gain. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to share some of mine with you. So I want to hear from you, but here, here's the deal. We'll start, we'll start easy. Let's talk about things that you're obsessed with that are, that are benign. They're not going to ruin or tank your relationship. They're just, you know, like somebody said, coffee lasts. That's what I'm talking about. It's kind of something simple. Talk to me. What are you obsessed with? Bean and cheese burritos. What? Bean and cheese burritos. Bean and cheese burritos. All right. You are a simple man, aren't you? Yeah. Is that Taco Bell or Del Taco? Oh, grandma's. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, so you've got to work a little bit to get it. What else? What are you obsessed by? Yeah. In and out. Okay. Somebody say tofu? Did somebody really say tofu? What a sick human you uh, must be. But that, okay. I, no, judge-free zone. Sorry, that was my bad. All right. What about, what about you guys, high school students? Come on. Now's your chance, man. What? Clash of Clans. Is that, that's a, that, I'm assuming, video game, right? <laughs> Clash of Clans. All right, what else? What? You're Disney. Do you, you going to Disneyland? Oh, wow, no kidding. Obsessed with it all the time. You have, obviously have the pass, parking pass, the whole bit, okay? Uh, anybody obsessed with coffee? We have some coffee people here, okay? Uh, any fantasy football people here? That was last service. A couple here this this service. Uh, I'll share mine with with you. Um, 
I'm also going public here, my family's here, and, and they know this, that today marks day 68, 68, um, 12 hours, and about 15 minutes that I am off this, this wonder drug, all right? I, I've, I've quit before, don't get too excited, uh, but here's the deal, I, it's Diet Coke for me, this is, this is I'm, I'm obsessed by it, even talking about it, I begin to go, I think of all the play. any Diet Coke people here? Okay? And they usually shoot their hands straight up and make noise and because, uh, not Diet Pepsi. Diet Pepsi, if I'm held hostage or beaten, I might do that. Uh, coffee drinkers, I have never had one cup of coffee my entire life. I just hate the taste of it. I just hate the taste of it. I don't like it in, in ice cream. I don't like it anything. But, but this, I would actually give up one of my three children uh, for, for one of these. You know. But I, um, I probably drink... Um, two to three liters a day. <laughs> really? I'm confessing and that's what you do? I, I can feel you reaching down to pick up the rocks to throw them at me, okay? No, two to three liters. I wasn't finished a day before lunch, all right? I pass a kidney stone every week, but it's excellent, all right? <laughs> Diet Coke people, are you with me? You know that. Any Diet Coke people, um, McDonald's? Yes, that is where the real Diet Coke people migrate to McDonald's because they, they put crack in it. They do something that makes it really, really uh, addictive. But um, I quit on September 1st when we went to um, New York City. My doctor told me I had high blood pressure. He asked me what I was um, salting. And I said, I don't salt anything. Then... I started doing some calorie counting of the food I was eating, and just for fun, I thought, I'll put in the calories for Diet Coke. Zero calories, zero fat, sodium, which is, which is salt for those Clash of Clan guys over here, okay. Uh, salt was like 75 megapixels or, you know, whatever it is. Basically, I was, you know, just drinking salt, so I'm, I'm done. I'm on to iced tea now, which is you know, just, it's water and sand mixed together. So I flavor it a lot with lemon and Diet Coke, uh, just so I can taste it. Okay, so that's, that's my obsession, all right? Now, let's just start by being really honest that there are some obsessions that, are, that have a lesser, uh, lesser degree of pain connected to them. So, for example, you could be obsessed with watching Simpson reruns, and that might not tank your relationships. Or you can be obsessed with pornography, and that will impact your relationships for the rest of your life. There are different degrees of obsessions, but obsessions can be destructive to one's souls and one's relationships. And as we talk about in this series of obsessions, everything, obsessions are birthed in our heart. Obsessions are not only birthed in our heart, they stay in our heart. They, they put their claws into our heart. They don't leave. So today, the big idea as we move into this three-week series is, is this. To understand obsessions, we have to start with an understanding of one's heart. That's why the scriptures tell us to guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. 
Now, obviously, this scripture is talking to a spiritual heart, but let's, just for the sake of a workable metaphor, you could take a physical heart, you know, the one that's pounding inside of all of us, and say there are some real similarities between a physical heart and a, and a spiritual heart. That a physical heart is unseen, but you cannot live life without a physical heart. Okay? You can live life without a limb. Anybody watching Amazing Race right now? Okay, Bethany Hamilton had a shark bite, took off her arm. She's, she's doing incredible things. If you saw the movie um, with James Franco, 127 Hours, where he gets in a rock climbing accident and cuts off his arm with like a, a spoon or a toothpick or, you know, something, and, and he survives. You know, that's, I mean, you can survive without a limb. There's a, a national NCAA wrestling champ who has one leg, and he's the, you know, best in the world. I forget his name, Skip or Trip or, you know, something like that. So, you know, an, an arm, an arm... That is a nice perk, okay? A leg, that's, that is trivial. But a heart is essential for life. You and I cannot live life without a heart. Now, if our heart is diseased, if our heart is troubled, we will show some symptoms of a diseased or troubled heart. So in the physical world, if my heart, my physical heart is bad inside of me, there's going to be shortness of breath, there's going to be lack of energy, there's going to be numbness, there's going to be tightness of the chest, indigestion, receding hairline, you know, those types of things. Now, if your doctor says your heart's in trouble, the doctor would then give you something to do or to take, and you would make the appropriate movements in that direction. Now, in our spiritual heart, what does it mean to have a spiritual heart? Your spiritual heart is, it's the center of who you are. It's your, it's your soul. It's everything you are. So therefore, if our spiritual heart is diseased, it will also reveal symptoms in how we live our lives. So a damaged spiritual heart isn't seen in shortness of breath, but it would be seen in shortness of love. Of character, absolutely. It, a damaged spiritual heart is not seen in a, a lack of energy, but it would be a lack of mission and purpose and meaning with your life. You're not going to experience physical numbness, but you would actually experience relational numbness, being relationally distant from, from God and God's love for you. Now for me, the condition of my spiritual heart, because I've been walking with Jesus for over 30 years, I would say the condition of my spiritual heart is pretty strong. But when it reveals itself in ugly ways is when there's pressure in my life. See, no pressure, my heart does well. But all of a sudden when there's pressure, like when I, tomorrow when I'm leaving the house in the driveway, I'll be... I'll be hymning the song, you know, singing the songs we sang this morning. I get in the car, I'm happy, I got a smile, I see the birds, I whistle with them. You know, I just I I, I look at the, the bunnies and I'm amused by the bunnies. I, I but I'm still in my driveway. So then I back out and I'm just like Mr. Smile as I drive down the street. How are you? Good to see you. 
waving to you know, our suburban neighbors and their 2.5 children. I am, I am Mr. Rogers without a sweater, and it's a beautiful day in my neighborhood. All right? Until I hit Marguerite Parkway. All right? Then when I get to Marguerite Parkway and the guy behind me honks because I didn't leave the nanosecond it turns green, then all of a sudden I turn green. And something comes alive inside of me. It's a little bit of a, little bit of a Hulk-like like anger, a little bit of rage. My, my pride has been messed with. So then instead of speeding through, I decide I'm going to go really slow. So I just, I just inch through the intersection. Like, who are you to honk at me in the morning? Don't you understand that I was just singing praise songs? Okay, I'm Jesus Jr. And bam, I turned into Judas so quickly. And you know what? It works. Because the guy behind me is so ticked off now. He pulls out and goes and then cuts me off, flips me off with a bumper sticker that says, Visualize World Peace. That was, that was special. Uh, but then I begin to think, wait, whoa, whoa, where did, that, where did that come from? See, I've got plaque in my spiritual heart. I've got an anger residue, a pride issue. And these things that live in my spiritual heart, one, they clog my spiritual maturity. They prevent me from growing. And, and two, they become, they become fertilizer for more obsessive, addictive, focused actions in my life. And here's what I know. I know that in sharing that with you, um, I'm not alone, am I? <laughs> See, maybe some of you didn't think that was a question. Uh, let, me just, let me just do it one more time so we're all on the same page. I'm not alone with that, am I? No, exactly. That many of us in here have spiritual hearts that, that need a little work, that need a little surgery, that need a little spiritual bypass. In Matthew chapter 15, if you have your Bible, you can open it there. You can look in the notes or up on the screen. It, Jesus is talking to some, some Pharisees and some religious leaders. And if you don't know what a Pharisee is, a Pharisee is a, is a person who they were distinguished by their strict observation of the Jewish law. They did everything to the T, to the dot, to the I. I mean, they were, just, they, they were known for doing everything with strict observation. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrive from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, this is not a new situation. As a matter of fact, religious leaders of the time and Pharisees, they were trying to trap Jesus into anything they could hold against him. So now they're, they're, they see that Jesus' disciples are not washing their hands, and they're going to go right after Jesus because they want, they want Jesus to say that, for Jesus to admit that he is breaking God's laws. But Jesus doesn't admit that because they're not God's laws. Look at this. Ignore our tradition. These traditions were made up by 
by humans, okay? They ignored the traditions before they eat. They were, they were made up by, by um, traditions were like, we're going to put these traditions in as, as stop signs. We're going to come up with a bunch of stop signs. So ultimately, over there is breaking God's law. We're going to say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, to stop you from really doing what is important to, to God. Does that make sense? Okay, so for, for example, when I first experienced this in my own life, I was a teenager, and I had an older uh, woman tell me that Christians shouldn't play cards. Okay, and she told me this while I was dealing a poker hand to my friend, all right? Anybody grew up in that type of church environment? It was very legalistic, strict. Some of you understand this, because Christians shouldn't gamble, so therefore don't play cards, because cards would lead to gambling. So, go fish, bad. Okay? <laughs> Crazy eights, evil. Okay? Don't even get me started on Uno. All right? And so we establish all these, these little rules in the church. You don't have sex standing up because it might lead to dancing. And, you know, and dancing is going to, you know, don't, you do not want to go there. All right? Now, in the Old Testament, what, what God promised, what God promised, or, or, or in the Old Testament, not what God promised, what God set up was for the priest, keyword, for the priest to be ceremonially clean. Meaning this, that the priest was to wash his hands from the top of the fingertips to the bottom of the elbows so that there wouldn't be anything that the priest would then eat that would defile himself and make him unpure. And then the Pharisees and the religious leaders said, well, if it's good for the priest, it's good for everyone. And so they established these traditions that everyone should wash their hands. And Jesus comes along and says, time out. Okay? You're missing the forest from the bar of soap. Okay? We're, we're, not, we're not talking about hand washing. We're talking about the heart. Then in verse 17, Jesus says, Anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer. Now, what Jesus is doing, it's a little weird, but he's basically saying, hey, let's talk about how the human body works, okay? I created the human body. It, what goes in must eliminate itself, all right? Which this gives me all kinds of, you know, tremendous potential for potty humor, which I would never do uh, here, okay? But he, sa- he says that in verse 18, he says, but the words that you speak come from the heart, and that's what defiles you. So what Jesus is saying, you guys, oh my gosh, in the spiritual world, it's not the dirty hands that defile you. It's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. Because what came out of your mouth originated in your heart. So when you say, I didn't, you know, you say something mean, cruel, wounding, and you go, I didn't mean that. No, You didn't mean to say that, but you actually meant every word of it because it originated in your heart. You've heard people say, I don't don't know where that came from. It just came out. I don't know where it came from. And God would say, 
I know exactly where it came from. You're good at disguising your heart around other people, but you gave birth to that in your heart, in your attitude, and it, it came out. Verse 19. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So let's go back. Look what he's saying. So now he starts talking about, we're not talking about washing hands. Let's go back to the heart. Evil thoughts. Okay, murder. Okay, murder is, it flows from the anger that's stored in our hearts. Adultery, all sexual immorality, flows from the lust that is stored in our hearts. Theft flows from the deception in, in our hearts. Or lying flows from the deception. Theft flows from the greed in, in our hearts. And slander flows from the jealousy in our hearts. So what is he saying? He's saying that our actions are actually revealed, reveal the condition of our hearts. Now here's where it gets messy in 21st century, 2014, South Orange County, with many of us that live in the real world. Unfortunately, we are part of a culture that cares way more about actions than we do one's heart. I've been, um, for 30 years, I've been a youth pastor. Spent my whole life with teenagers. And I can't tell you how many times here in Orange County, how many times parents have come up to me, introduced me to their child, and in essence say, fix him. <laughs> okay, fix him. Change his behavior. He needs church. Have him baptized, sanctified, dry cleaned, and, and you know, I'll pick him up when he's 18. Oh, Doug, oh, mighty one. You know, fix him. And you know what I want to say to these, these parents is that your child's heart is what's messed up. It's not a pot-smoking, beer-drinking, lying, cussing issue. It's a heart issue. And we're seeing that because his or her heart is diseased in rebellion from God. But in our culture, we look at everybody by what they say and what we do, and we make that the ultimate morality. And we say, don't use that, that word, and don't ever do that. And parents, when we do that, we miss the bigger point of what change is all about, heart change. You know, some of you here, you're, you're trying to figure out this God, Jesus, faith, church, Christianity thing. And I've had people say, you know, it, it doesn't seem to work because I'm trying to change my words and I'm trying to change my actions and really I don't feel any closer to God. Why? Because you're actually treating God like and church like a ceremonial hand washing. If I one, do these things, and two, attend these events, and three, read these books, and four, learn the right behaviors, I'll be spiritual. No, you won't. Because that's not how God designed it. God is not a glorified etiquette instructor. 
It's not working that way because God never promised it would work that way. God wants to go in and get a whole new heart, not just, not just do behavior modification. We jump from Matthew 15 to Matthew 23. Jesus is still talking to Pharisees and religious leaders. What sorrow, and just, just watch the tone of Jesus here. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. This is my favorite part. For, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all kinds of impurities. Hello? That's Jesus. Some of you are like, you didn't learn that in Sunday school. You just have Jesus like dancing through daisies and, you know, picking up children and, and kissing them. He's saying, hey, scumbags, you look... Well, maybe not. That's, that's kind of a loose translation of the Greek. Okay? He, he's saying, hey, you look so good on the outside, but where it counts on the inside, you are totally dead. I love that passage. I've written a bunch of books. I actually want to write a book one day called People Who Need to Be Slapped. Okay? <laughs> I do. I've just got all these chapters in my mind and stuff like that. So. Now, don't write me your letters about how I'm not going to write. I don't, I don't want them beat up or injured. Just a simple slap. Okay? You know, like, like those of you who wear your earphones, your, your little your little. Uh, you know, hello, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm always on, out to dinner with your family, okay? I just want to walk by, slap it out, okay? That's, that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Guys with mullets, really? Come on, you know, that type of thing. People who dress up their dogs, you know, oh, okay. So, so Jesus kind of gives them a little bit of a verbal slap. And you say, well, why, why was Jesus so heated? Because Jesus understood that a diseased heart is going to affect everything and wreak havoc in all your relationships. So the question is, for us today, is there hope for our heart? Yes. There's good news and bad news. The bad news is this, that you can't perform your own spiritual heart surgery. Because on your own, all you're going to do is play backwards goalie. Okay? You're going to be, imagine you are, the, you are the goalie net, the soccer net, and all I'm trying to do is, is stop the behaviors from coming out. That's all you can do on your own. You're going to spend the rest of your life trying to watch what you say and watch what you do. That's the bad news. You can't do this heart surgery on your own. But the good news is that God has made a promise. And the promise is to come into our inside and to change us from the inside out. Okay, not just behavior modification, but heart change. And here's the key you got to understand. When our heart is changed, our obsessions will change. And the good, good obsession will be being obsessed with the presence and the power of Jesus. Because whether you feel like it or not, I don't know the condition of your heart, 
But God wants to come into your heart and give you a new heart to change you from the inside out. Same promise that was made in the Old Testament. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. See, what I love about this is this is the image, and those of you who've heard me teach before, you know I'm big in this partnership deal with God. That God has the biggest part. He does the impossible. Okay, that's over here. God does the impossible. But our part is that we do the possible. We have have steps that we actually take. He says, Doug, I want to come in your life and give you a whole new heart. I will do the impossible but you've got to get engaged as well. You're just not a zombie who just lays there and goes through life non-existent while I refresh your heart. You've got to take the right steps. Okay, does this all make sense? You, am I clear? Okay, the, the heart is a big deal for spiritual growth. It's the, it's the baseline, the foundation of obsessions. And in the scripture we looked at in, in Matthew uh, 15, Jesus gave several, but I think the big three and the ones that we just have time for that are the biggest that he talked about are anger, greed, and jealousy. Those pretty much live where we live. I added a fourth only because I talk to Christians a lot, and guilt is the fourth. So if you flip over your notes, it would look something like this. Guilt is obsession over my past. Okay? That anger is obsession over hurt. Greed is obsession over wanting more. And jealousy is, a, is obsession over comparison. Now, let me be really clear. These are not the only four issues living in one's spiritual life. These are biggies, but in the amount of time that we have today, we're just going just gonna to hit these. And I'm going to hit them kind of surface and send you out with some homework so that when you come back next week, we're going to talk about a slice of, of one of these. All right? So guilt... Guilt goes like this. Guilt's language is I owe. And a lot of you live in guilt. You think you owe because it's your natural response when you've done something wrong. You look in your past and you've, you've hurt somebody, you've lied to somebody, you've stolen from somebody, you've offended something. Basically, you've done wrong in your past and you feel guilty about that. And that guilt grows into an obsession where that's all you think about. You live in the past. Now, what does Scripture say about Guilt. Fools make fun of guilt for the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Now notice this word fools because we're going to see this pop up a little bit. Okay, That's guilt. I owe. The second is, is anger. This is you owe me. Okay? You, you hurt me. You angered me. You stole from me. You, you messed up my life. You, uh, you broke up my, my first marriage. You, you ruined me. You gave an illustration about a one-legged wrestler. And, and I, just, I just, you owe me. You owe me an apology. You owe me money. You owe me my reputation back. And I'm going to hold on to this anger debt until you pay. So when people say to me, I just can't forgive him until I'm paid back, whatever that payment is. How's that working for you, buddy? Okay. You know, the, re- the result of that is a clogged spiritual heart. When you hold on to anger and obsess over it, that's what it does. It keeps you from growing spiritually and just adds fertilizer to more obsession. 
Fools vent their anger, but the wise quietly hold it back. Once again, the word fools. The next one is greed. This is I owe me. This is uh, everything I've earned, I owe me. Some of maybe what you've earned. No one is going to get this from me. This is the, the, you know, I may give a little to a charity or a little to the church, but it's mine. This is my money, my stuff, my possessions. What does Jesus say about this attitude? Yeah, a person is a what? Fool. To store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Okay, none of these are serving my life well. And the last one is jealousy. This is where God owes me. God owes me better health. God owes me a better job. God owes me a better life, better children, more money. God gave, God gave something to them that he should have given to me. He's given me too little, too, too late. And see, this jealous heart, what it carries around, it carries around the spirit of comparison. So wherever you go, you're not happy because you're comparing yourself to other people and what you're not and what you wish you had. And that's why in 2 Corinthians it says, but they are only comparing themselves with each other, using themselves as the standard of measurement. How ignorant. Other translations say, how foolish. Okay? These four that are in your notes, these are the primary wounders of your heart. You want me to tell you which one I struggle with the most? Okay? Thank you. Okay? I struggle with all of them. Some of you are like, oh, no wonder you haven't spoken in three months. You know, maybe you need a little more time off. You know, when's Jeff coming back? Uh, You know, maybe you're thinking, you loser. No, I'm not a loser. I'm a fool. I'm a fool when I allow these to have a place in, in my heart. Okay? And... Now what I've got to do is I've got to, if they're ever going to get out of my heart, I've got to do my part. Let's go back to the heart metaphor. The physical heart, the one pumping in our bodies, the spiritual heart, our soul of who we are. If your physical heart is in trouble, you are given medication, you are, you are told to exercise. You're, now, the doctor doesn't force it on you, but you are to do something to improve that heart. The same metaphor, it works, it works spiritually as well. And what I want to do is I want to give you some, some exercises that I want you to think about this, this week. They're not going to be easy. Exercise isn't easy. But it's taking the step toward health. And I'll tell you this. Until you do this, um, nothing's going to change in your life. It's not. Those relationships that are wounded are not going to heal. There's always going to be something about you where people go, God, that person, that, there's just something goofy about their heart. Okay? This is your time if you have a pen or you want to pull out your phone to, to write these down because I didn't put them in your notes because I, I didn't want to steal the thunder here. But here, here comes the thunder. All right. So exercise to unclog guilt is confession. Okay? This is the step that you and I take. Okay? Who do we confess to? Well, we confess to God. Psalm 32. Finally, I confess all my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. Not only do we confess to God, 
we confess to, uh, to others. Uh, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be, what? Healed. Why would I confess to another brother or sister in Christ? Because the Spirit of God is in them. And that when I confess to them, they can bring some healing to me. So if I have a heart that is just clogged with guilt, I've got to confess. That's the exercise. I've got to confess to God, and I've got to confess to, to others. Okay? What, if, what about the exercise to unclog anger? That is to forgive. You will always hang on. Anger will have a root in your heart until you forgive. It doesn't matter whether they're deserving or not. Okay. Why? Check this out. Colossians 3.13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Doug, you are a whitewashed tombstone if you don't forgive. God has showered you with his forgiveness. And so why would you not forgive? You want a clean heart? You've got to forgive. In Luke 17, 4, it says, Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. It's a continual process. It's not a one-time thing. It's a continual process until your heart is cleansed. All right, what about exercise to unclog greed? It's to give. So we talked about last week, being generous people. If you're a greedy person, the antidote to that is to, to give. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe, and no thief can come and steal. No moth can destroy it. That when we give, we store up treasures in heaven. God is the great accountant. What about if your heart is filled with jealousy? Then you've got to celebrate others. That's how you counteract jealousy. You have to celebrate what you are jealous of. Hebrews 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? It's not about them. It's about me. Now, if I'm sitting where you're sitting, I'm thinking, this is good. Okay? And I'm thinking, okay, I want to be that person. I want to be somebody who, who confesses. I want to be somebody who forgives. I want to be somebody who gives. I want to be somebody who celebrates others. God, make me that person. Make me a forgiver and a giver and a celebrator and a confessor. It doesn't work like that. Okay? See, spiritually, that's backwards thinking. And it's not consistent with how the God of the Bible works. That's where we, we get involved in this. So let's say jealousy is your deal. That's occupying a place in your heart. And you even drive to church here. And you, you go into the parking structure. And you drive past a really fancy car. And you're like, oh my gosh. Rich people go to Mariner's Mission Viejo. 
I looked at the map. There's so many pins in Kodo. All those rich people are living in Kodo and Ladera, even though Ladera is totally under from house uh, bank loans being upset. But they're still rich. I don't, I don't care. They're just rich people. And you, jealousy is triggered by the cars in the parking lot. Then you walk here and you see these, these perfect families. I mean, everybody looks so pretty here at Mary. I, I've been away from you for a long time. This is my home church. We have pretty people here, okay? Pretty people. I was in Austin last weekend. Ugly, okay? <laughs> Ugly people, but here. So now you're driving my cars. You're jealous of the cars. You're jealous of the people. Then you come in here and you look at me. Man, if I had hair like that, you know, that, then, I, then I'd really, really be gone. See, whenever you're jealous, here, you can pick any of the four that I've talked about. Jealousy. Let's say your neighbor gets a new car, and you are, you are jealous over that. Well, what you need to do is you need to go celebrate that new car. As dumb as it sounds, it's for your heart. So you walk over there. This is a great car. Just, I love the smell. Sit, ooh, leather, I like this. I mean, this is, this is great. What kind of mileage? You, and you just, you celebrate it over and you talk about how great it must be. And yeah. And now you're saying, Doug, I, I can't do that from my heart. I know your heart is broken. It's jealous. This is what you've got to do as an exercise. Those people, you're je- you need to learn to celebrate them. You do your part. And then God comes in and does the impossible. And he begins to work on our diseased heart. Here's the brutal honesty. The longer you have been living this way, with a diseased and fractured heart, the longer it's going to take for you to develop these exercises. But I just, I see so many people that I go, they, they call themselves Christians that are not living the life that God intends them to live because they're obsessed with jealousy or greed or anger or guilt. God says, I want to give you a whole new heart. I'll do my part. I'll come in. I'll fill you. I'll give you my presence. But you got to do your part. So you wake up tomorrow. And you wake up a confessor. And you confess to God. Okay? If you need to, you confess to, to others. Okay? You forgive that same person if it's the 80th time. You're forgiving them until you feel it. You celebrate in places where you're jealous and you give. Here's, here's the message for me. Is, Doug, don't be a fool. He's spending too much time with a ceremonial hand wash when what I really care about is your heart and your heart being cleansed. And like a doctor won't force exercise or medication on you, God doesn't force us either. He says, I want a partnership. I'll come in. I'll invade. I'll do the heart work. I'll do the impossible. You do the possible. See, because when your heart has changed, your obsessions change. How many of you feel like you could leave here and this week you could experiment with confession and forgiveness and giving and celebrating? Let me see your hand. Okay. 
Let's do it. We'll be back next week. Talk more about it. Jesus, may we be different because we were here. Thank you that you know everything about our hearts and you love us. And there are people here who need to go on a spiritual, <clears throat> spiritual diet. Some may need more radical surgery like a spiritual bypass. But we pray that you would transplant our hearts, that you would change us from the inside out, that we wouldn't be people that are so hung up on behavior, but that we really are people who are in alignment with what your Spirit's doing in our heart. We'd be obsessed with anything. We'd be obsessed with your presence and your power. That's our prayer. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.